Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Jason Coleman, and you are listening to Things That Make You Go Hmm Book Review Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Things That Make You Go hmm, Book Review Podcast. I am your one-man book club, Jason Coleman. Thank you so much for joining me, as always. Uh, it's great to talk with you guys again. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the book Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. So, I, I never heard of this person before, but apparently he's pretty well known in the... I guess business networking um, communities, and I wasn't really sure what to expect when I read the book. I should probably tell you right off the bat that me personally, I I don't really tend to read a lot of books about um, business improvement, how to how to grow your business, how to. Um, improve your business strategies. I know that like, see, the thing is, is that a lot of the books, I mean, if you're new to the channel, my my podcasts are basically focused on nonfiction books that deal mostly with behavioral economics, um, self-improvement, heuristics, uh, behavioral psychology, evolutionary evolutionary psychology, you know, so, so on and so forth. Things like, things about why people are the way that they are. But every once in a while, I think because these type of books, um, a lot of the the messages tend to lend themselves very much to the whole business improvement um, mindsets as well. I do get some bleed through and I, I did hear a lot about this book. It, it popped up a, a lot on my recommendations from um, from Amazon and Audible and Goodreads and stuff like that. So I, I wanted to I wanted to give it a chance to see if you know. And I'm always looking for some new new um, book titles that I could incorporate into these podcasts, uh, just to kind of keep things uh, refreshing. So, um, so yeah. So I I decided to give this book a try, even though I th- I think the book is mostly geared towards people who who are trying to either start their own business or or grow their own business, which I, I don't think is necessarily what I'm trying to do. Um, but, but yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I guess for me, um, I still was just curious about how maybe somebody who wanted to try to grow their business opportunities, maybe I might do something like that in the future, uh, how how I could benefit from something like that. So, okay, let's get to the book here. Um, basically, if I had to summarize the author's thesis in two sentences, I, I would probably say that the whole concept is improvement comes just as much from your connections as they do from any skill level that you might have. And, and we need to see the situation like that. We need to see that... Um, building your relationships is something that, you know, is going to, is going, you're going to have to have with the same sort of care and effort as building your skill set with your products, uh, you know, is going to be necessary. And 
I guess for me, I, I have a bit of a naive view when it comes to business. <laughs> and that is, I just feel like if what you're doing, if your product, if your service is good enough, then then your connections don't really matter all that much. Um, real talent and something that is just excellent will will push through at some point. Um, you know, if you're running a restaurant and you just have this really amazing pizza or, you know, whatever it is that you're selling, at, at, at some point, you're going to start get re- get recognition. Enough people will just get the word out. And, you know, building these kind of relationships isn't necessarily, um, it's not necessary, basically. And I now realize, you know, after reading the book that that's probably a really naive view. There's lots and lots of super talented, super excellent products out there that just never really get heard, never really get noticed because um, they didn't get into the hands of the right people. Um, and I, I think that it's important, and the author talks a lot about his, um, his past growing up and how he was deeply affected by some of the things that happened that really changed the trajectory of his life. And let's be clear here. I mean, <laughs> um, Keith Ferrazzi is a... I'm not even exactly sure <laughs> what he does. He has one of those mysterious consulting jobs, which I I, I, I must confess a lot of times... Um, you know, if if you want to, you can listen to my my podcast by David uh, David Graeber's book, Bullshit Jobs. And I'm not saying that Keith Ferrazzi has one of those, but I am a little when it comes to like McKinsey and Deloitte and um, a few other. And I think he was like a CEO of of a gaming company as well. Um, and he uh, he talks a lot about the successes that he had and and stuff like that. But, um. The way that it all got started for him is he was a when he was he grew up as a poor kid uh, in Pennsylvania, um, and he actually got his first job working as a golf caddy, uh, basically somebody who would carry golf clubs for for other people, and 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 do more. They would give them advice and they would you know coach them and try to help pick out the right uh, golfing irons for them, uh, stuff like that. And he, he, I guess he came across this one woman who wound up becoming his benefactor. And he really helped her improve her golf game. He worked really hard by scouting out the greens, giving her the right irons, just being very positive, using a lot of what he called sweat equity. And apparently, she decided to become his benefactor. She got him a scholarship to some really prestigious uh, private school. And then from there, he went on. I think he went to Yale. Uh, and he says, he talks a lot about how when he made the, the, the relationships, the connections with this woman, that's what opened up the doors for him to, to all these opportunities that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. And... I I completely understand what he's talking about. Um, I read J.D. Vance's book, Hillbilly Elegy, and J.D. Vance was a, also a poor kid who grew up in Ohio, and he came across a benefactor that helped him as well. And B, I, I work as a public school teacher in middle school, and what, that we do actually talk about 
the concept of of mentorship and how not everybody gets one and your chances of success are just a lot higher when you find somebody who can who can help you either intellectually, uh, financially, um, professionally. Sometimes you'll get really lucky. They can help you with all three things. And uh, I was talking with my wife about this, and I, I actually have a theory that nobody achieves very high levels of success without coming across some kind of benefactor along the way, some kind of mentor along the way. Now, most people don't get one. <laughs> it's not fair. Um and if you look at the if you look at the uh, a lot of athletes and their tra- trajectories upwards, a lot of them, even if they grew up in very poor neighborhoods, uh, LeBron James comes to mind. You know, he grew up in in the projects, um, you know, in in Ohio. I want to say Dayton, but I'm not I'm not exactly sure. Um, but they come across people who meet them when they were very young, and you know they get. They get recruited onto these elite sort of private teams. Um, they wind up, you know, going to these exclusive high schools, and so they're they're very much shielded uh, away from a lot of the realities of the world that they would otherwise have to deal with. Um, and I don't, and I I actually think that you know it's funny if if I had my own sort of ideas of a, a utopian society, I, that's actually kind of how I would. I would run the societies. I'm, I'm a little concerned about how colleges will just let you. And I, I'm sorry, I'm going a little off topic here. But colleges will just let you study whatever you want to study. You can be, you know, you can you can study art history. You can study psychology, philosophy, engineering. There's so many different things that you can study. Maybe you'll find a job. Maybe you won't. That's just how it goes in America. Um, I, I really wish that we did something a little bit more similar to what I hear goes on in certain parts of Western Europe where they they try to understand where job growth is going to be in certain areas and try to funnel people um, into trainings for those those sorts of careers. Uh, we don't we don't do that in the United States. We sort of tell people, okay, go to college, get yourself educated about worldly matters and go compete for, with for jobs that probably have nothing to do with what you studied. Um, even I know you might be thinking, well, what about certain specialized fields like like medicine and law and stuff like that? Well, I should probably tell you that the running my wife, who actually is a physician, um, the running joke is by the time uh, information and medicine is evolving so quickly that by the time somebody graduates from medical school. of what they learned is already obsolete. But the problem is nobody knows exactly which 50% that is. So there you go. Um, And I think about, I I watched a documentary uh, documentary last weekend um, about the ballet dancer Misty Copeland, who is just really a phenomenal talent and uh, an amazing human being. Um. And if you look at her trajectory of dancing, one of the things that was really interesting is most ballerinas who, you know, get to very high levels of, of uh, the profession, you know, they're performing for American Ballet Theater or uh, the Russian schools, the French schools, you know, whatever the case is, they probably started like, you know, right after they learned how to walk, <laughs> they started ballet dancing. Uh, Misty was really interesting. If I'm not mistaken, she didn't start dancing until she was about 12 which is ancient uh, in the ballet world. 
So one of the things about Misty, though, is, you know, she talks about, you know, being the first um, prima ballerina for the American Ballet Theater, being a black woman um, and a lot of the challenges and the barriers that she faced. But I was as I looked back through the documentary and maybe I'll read her autobiography and do a podcast about that also, I noticed there were a lot of people along the way who really wanted to help Misty. Um, her dance teacher, her very first dance teacher, who she met like at the YMCA or something like that, uh, who was just giving like a free dance class, she offered to let Misty live with her so that she could homeschool Misty and train her full time. And I mean, Misty's mother was on welfare, <laughs> okay? Uh, they had no money, no resources. So, you know, I'm sure this woman comes across hundreds of dancers. Why what, Why did she just decide to dedicate her life to Misty all of a sudden? And, and I guess I would argue that that's what's going to, that's usually, not in every case, but that's usually what's going to separate uh, the talented individual who's going to become successful from the talented individual who just never quite is able to make a living at what they're, what they're doing is the ability to, to network and make those connections. So Keith Ferrazzi says, well, well, how exactly do you, um, do you make those connections? And he was saying, this is, I thought was really interesting. He was saying that when you make connections, it's kind of like exercising. If you don't, con- if you don't continuously work out certain muscles, they're, they're going to atrophy, okay? They're, they're going to, they're not going to maintain their shape and form. And just bear with me because uh, I'll, I'll, I'll loop it back to, to what he's talking about here. And um, to summarize, what he's saying is you need to actually build up your own contacts yourself share your contacts with other people and let those people share their contacts with you. And he says that what happened was he was actually in Los Angeles. I think he lives in Los Angeles now. And he wanted to, he was thinking about trying to break into the entertainment industry. And so he wanted to set up a meeting with this, some guy who, um, some executive who knew some people. And he said, he said, hey, I was looking to break into the entertainment industry and I was wondering if you had some contacts who could, who I could talk to about maybe setting up some publicity or a, a few other things. And the guy said, well, I do have some contacts, but I don't feel comfortable giving them to you because I'm probably going to need a favor from them as well. And I don't want to spend my capital um, on somebody other than myself right now when it comes to these contacts. And he said that really confused him because... He said he thought that his friend was approaching the whole idea of contacts as a zero sum game. Like if I give you a contact, then it's a limited resource and therefore it won't be able to be used again. That material will be exhausted. And he said, you know, there's really there's really nothing further from the truth. Um, In reality, when you are willing to, you know, help people come and connect together, they're going to be willing to help you come and connect together. And and he said and he gives different strategies. I'm not going to go into details, but he gives different strategies with how you have to maintain these relationships, whether it's sending a friendly email once every few months, whether it's, you know, making a quick comment on their Twitter or their Facebook. But but basically you want to do something in order to nurture this, these comments. And then he gives like really kind of interesting strategies about how you should approach people when you want to try to make a contact with them. He was saying that you want to make it seem genuine. Um, 
and you want to give something you want to give people something that will uh, he has a whole formula where you want to show a little bit of vulnerability to yourself but at the same time you want to acknowledge the other person's achievements and accomplishments and he talks about how there was one particular speaker and uh, who he was just really enamored with and he came and he came up to him and he said hey I'd, I'd really love to have lunch um, I work at this consulting company I I have a few pointers and I was hoping you could give me some insights too um, and and just some really thoughtful things that I had never really really thought about I don't um, I tend to to live as a bit of a, a shut-in myself um, I'm not a I feel like I'm a I'm a talkative person but I'm not necessarily a a very social person um, when I get when I go to get get-togethers with strangers I, I generally don't really talk to anybody um, if I don't know them I mean I'm not a jerk if somebody wants to come up and talk to me I'll definitely have a conversation with them I just don't I don't feel completely comfortable um, connecting with people I don't know but he and, and I got to be honest with you I think there are people in life who are just genuinely good at that I'm not saying that you can't get better at it with practice and with time but some people just genuinely enjoy talking to strangers and, and meeting people like um Farazi talks about how he tends to go to a lot of conferences. Now, when we think of conferences, we think about opportunities for learning, um, for lear- you know, for for growing educationally. But he was saying that you know he doesn't genuinely learn a whole lot when he goes to conferences, mostly because he spends a lot of time reading, dialoguing, you know, researching on the topics that they talk about at, at conferences. So. There's not really a lot of new information that that goes on at conferences for him. Um, so what he mostly uses conferences for is to meet up with people, connect, make new contacts, and uh, I, I guess, you know, reestablish old contacts with people that he hasn't seen before and, and stuff like that. So... And he, he does a lot of dinners, too. Apparently, he's famous in Los Angeles for hosting, like, political dinners, political parties, stuff like that. Um, and and I, I don't know. I just don't think that that is necessarily something that everybody is going to want to do. But I do understand that there is a need to do that. And he was saying that he was bringing up these really interesting statistics that a a lot of people or they were saying like something like 50% of people who get their jobs only like a third of them actually filled out a resume and were called in you know through that channel they said that you know over half of all people got their jobs through some sort of a contact so I I definitely understand and, and agree that having contacts having you know networks inside um is just an overwhelming advantage when it comes to to achieving um, more success. So he says, well, well, who are these people that you want to meet? Well, <clears throat> he talks about this Stanley Milligram study, which I find fascinating. Not, not the one where people were shocking each other to death, but he was saying that there is a study um, where they conducted it in Nebraska where people were asked to, it was really interesting. What they said was, 
we want these letters to get to an accountant that lives somewhere in the state. And we're not going to tell you where the accountant lives. Just send this letter to somebody who you know, who you think might know the accountant. Just like that. And so, of course, most people have no clue. So they just said, okay. So they would send the letter to their friend who had a lot of friends and said, could you send this letter to somebody you know who you think might know this accountant? And, you know, there was like hundreds and hundreds of um, pieces of mail that were sent. And apparently, like, it was kind of interesting. Um, Something like 20 or 30 percent of the letters actually did get to these random accountants. And they said the and here, this is fascinating. So apparently the average number of steps it took for the mail to get to the accountant was six. And I, and that's actually, I'm pretty sure where we get the whole game of six degrees of Kevin Bacon, the, the game where you try to match up movies through Kevin Bacon. Uh, I didn't know that's where it came from, but here's where it gets really, really interesting. So apparently in this, out of all the people that the the mail would go through, something like 90% of all the letters crossed through four different people. Get that. Four different people in Nebraska. The entire state completely spread out. All of the random people sending letters everywhere, they passed through these four people. And he calls these four people. And if you read, um, I want to say The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, uh, he, they talk about these people who are called connectors. They have this really extraordinary ability to just maintain hundreds and hundreds of casual relationships with people. Um, I myself am not one of those, but I have met other people who, I don't know, it's kind of weird. It's like they just sort of, everybody seems to know them. Every, they're, they're friends with just about everybody. Um, and, and I know you've seen this before too, where let's say you... Uh, you go on Facebook and you're friends with somebody and then you you notice that you you have uh, you have um, acquaintances, you have um, common friends with this person, even though you wouldn't expect the, the people to know your friend. It's just they they're connectors. They have that special ability to do that. And he said that getting to know those kind of people is absolutely essential Um for, for growing your networks, growing your business, and, and meeting meeting these contacts. So I, I like to end my podcasts, and I'll, I'll go ahead and wrap it up here. I like to end my podcast by talking about whether I feel this book has any practical application for me, because that's a big thing for me, is that if I don't feel like the book can necessarily improve my own personal life, I, I don't, I'm like the ancient Greeks in that Philosophy should be practical. Uh, if, if you're just learning something for the sake of learning, um, I just don't, I personally don't have much interest in that. So I, I think that for me, what I'm going to try to get from this book is I'm going to be a little bit more open to, to inquiring um, a, a bit more into people's lives and not necessarily only because they might be able to help me at some point in the future. But I think that, you know, a lot of happiness is based upon you being able to give to other people as well, is I just, I need to start keeping it in my head that, you know, maybe I know people that could help somebody else as well. And if I'm able to do that, and then people can do that for me, I mean, 
you know, who knows? Maybe at some point in the future, maybe I will want to start up some sort of a business or maybe I will want to get into something that I'm going to require some help. I'm going to need some either some mentorship, some advice, some financial resources. I don't know. Um, so it does definitely did help change my perspective a little bit more about networking. And and I think I think for that, if if you feel like that's something that could help you as well, then I do think the book would be uh, worth your time. So that is Keith Ferrazzi's Never Eat Alone. Well, I just want to thank you again for making it to the end of my podcast. Uh, if any of you are able to, um, I'd really appreciate it. I don't know what platform you're listening to this on, but if you could write a nice review for me, I, I know it's, ta- it's a little annoying to take a few minutes out of your schedule. Uh, I'd really appreciate it just because, um, you know, it's very it's very meaningful for me to know that people want to spend 20, 25 minutes of their life um, listening to me give my point of view about something. And so if there's any way that I could grow the audience to reach more people who might also be interested in this, um, you know, I, I would be I'd really appreciate that. So uh, again, thank you for your time. Um, I will be back in a couple weeks. I'm not exactly sure what the new book I'm going to be reviewing, but I'll be sure to make it interesting for you. Um, Until then, happy reading.